Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Your welcome is brought to you for free today by our friends at Bet Online. March has arrived, and we're only weeks away from the big tournament. Head over to betonline.ag and sign up for your Bet Online's $100,000 bracket madness starting on March 15th. Get in the mix at betonline.ag and use the promo code PODCAST1 for your 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts and the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Adesanya and Romero, you know, I like the story of this fight. I like how it came about. I like that Adesanya being the champion is anything but a closet champion. I like that he called out possibly the hardest work in the whole division. And if you want to argue that and say that Romero is not the top guy, well, then who is? Costa? Sure he is. Romero, uh, I apologize. Izzy called him out too. If you want to say it's not Costa or Romero, who is it? Leave division and go after John Jones? Izzy called out John Jones, too. I mean, Izzy's looking for hard stuff to do. He's anything but a closet champion. He would be the opposite of a closet champion. And this fight got set up largely because of Izzy. Of course, Romero's down for a world title fight. You bet he is. But who's not? Romero got this opportunity while losing a number one contendership fight. In fact, he lost his very last fight against Costa, but he got this because Izzy called Dana and said, no, I want Romero. Got nothing else going on. The division's weird right now. Besides, I don't like this guy. Don't hold me being champion against me. I don't want punished for that. I'm in the fight business. I got guys I want to fight. This belt shouldn't have anything to do with it. Put the belt up or don't put it up. Just put me in there with Romero. Okay, I like that. I mean, I'm into that, and that's just not how a champion does it. That's how a champion should do it. That's how everybody that ever claims they're going to be champion claims that they're going to run their career, but then they never do. They get so excited about seeing that little shiny belt over their shoulder around their waist when they're on a poster or a countdown show that all they think about is, how can I keep this damn thing for longer and enjoy these moments? Okay, fine. But Izzy didn't do that. He did the opposite. So I like the story of the fight. You then do have the upset factor, which history says this is going to go to Romero. History says, all the way back to 1993, you put a great grappler and a great striker in there, the grappler's going to win. If you look at Romero, though, who doesn't use his grappling, it really doesn't matter how many World and Olympic medals he's got. It really doesn't matter how many times he was the Cuban national wrestling champion if he chooses to not wrestle while in there. He takes his own weapon, he leaves it in the locker room, and still has a great career. I'm just saying, this isn't meant to be critical of Yoel as much as as an observation, which has come as a bit of a surprise. It's been a bit of a surprise that you would take somebody as decorated with him in wrestling, and then, by the way, he's not going to bring his wrestling with him. Okay. So let's say that he plays the same song that he plays every time, which is to go out there and try to punch and kick, maybe throw a flying knee, hit one takedown attempt per round just to keep the guy guessing. Let's just say that Romero goes out. Let's history repeat itself. You are left with the question of, does he have good enough hands to put down Adesanya? That is a big stretch. And while Romero might be stronger and looks like a very powerful guy and has put other guys down, Adesanya can take one hell of a punch. That's one part of the story that never gets told. He's so dynamic. He moves so well on his feet. I mean, to the point that it's weird. I mean, he'll start breakdancing mid-fight. I mean, it's, it's this weird, wonderful, fun thing to watch that's very unique. But the other side of it is he's been cracked a number of times. He just, he doesn't stumble. He doesn't go down. It's a very real thing. I talked with Ed Soros after Anderson fought Izzy. And Anderson was very complimentary of that match. He enjoyed that match. He complimented Adesanya's striking. 
But he also paid Adesanya a compliment on his ability to take a strike. He said, you know, I don't know if you saw it or not, but I stuck that guy pretty hard a number of times. And it just didn't appear to phase him. Now, that's a big compliment to come from the greatest of all time for the division. Tremendous compliment. But I feel that I need to bring that to you because in all fairness, you probably don't see that. Some of that goes against John Jones too. John Jones walks through fire. So when you see John Jones not flinch, not wilt, and not back up, you just are left to assume, well, that must not have been a very hard shot. They're really hard shots. I've seen John fight live. You can hear some of the shots. And John doesn't flinch, and he walks forward and looks to return the favor. But he's one of those guys, and I bring this up because when you're looking at Adesanya, if you're going to hang your hat on, I think Romero can beat him, and you're more than welcome to do it. I, I don't know. There's a reason these boys have to go out there and fight. But if you're going to hang your hat on the argument that Romero can out-wrestle him and history says that's good for Romero, great, just remember Romero doesn't bring that tool with him very often. He leaves it in the back for whatever reason. If you were to turn and say, but Romero's a great striker, you would be right to say that. Romero is a great striker. He's explosive and he surprises you and he's got very good defense and he always fires back. I mean, he follows and checks a lot of boxes to the most basic fundamentals of strike and it's fundamentals that win championships. But you are left with, can Romero put him down? Because I don't think any of us are going to go and place a wager on a question of, can Romero land more shots? Should this go to the judges? Can he win rounds 10-9? I don't think very many of us are willing to separate from reality far enough to delve into that pool. I'm going to have to leave you with the assessment that, no, I don't think he can. And while Romero is very explosive and will spend a lot of time lulling you in and getting you to slow down, he'll come up the middle with that uppercut. He'll come up the middle with that flying knees. Then a number of things that are explosive and fast, and he gets an opponent out of there. The snap of a finger, he will get an opponent out of there who has been winning the contest. I understand those things, but the way that Adesanya moves in conjunction with how tall Adesanya is. I I don't know that Romero can just jump up in the air and land a knee on Adesanya that's going to hit him on the chin. Adesanya also comes from that world. He's had flying knees, just by example, thrown at him a number of times. He's just one of the few guys that understands how to counter, how to matador that type stuff and then get his own strikes off. I think as you look at this fight, if you believe that Romero can win, first off, you should consider getting some action on that because the numbers are pretty good. But secondly, I do think that you would have to support that thesis by backing up how. And if you think he's going to finish him with strikes, that is going to be very compelling. If you think he's going to come out, flip the script on his entire career, I'm talking about Romero now, and go out and use those wrestling skills, that would also be very interesting. Because we are now going to see something we haven't seen before, and it would seem as though Romero possesses that tool. And if you think for the first time ever he's going to bring it out, that might be a good bet. Rosenway Lee seems to me like it's uh, flying under the radar just a little bit, but there is a lot on this fight. Now, before you get in the X's and O's, okay, just the story of the fight and a perceived storyline for the drama that will come out of this fight. Let's start with Joanna. Now, Joanna is nobody's fool. She is nobody's stepping stone. She is a champion to the highest of levels with skills to the highest of levels that backs down from absolutely nobody. Let's say she loses to Wei Lee. Let's say she does. Where does she go? Does she stay at 115? Does she go back up to 125? Either way, if she stays at 115 and isn't going to get a rematch for the championship against Wei Lee, if she goes up to 125, what, she starts stepping stones there to try to get back to the bullet, a fight that's already happened and people aren't clamoring to see? I'm just saying it's a very tough spot when you take somebody as good, as skilled, as respected, as feared as Joanna. But when you look at Joanna internally, all she wants to be is the champion. She doesn't give a damn about all the rest of it. So where does a gal go, like Joanna, who can't get a championship fight at 115 because she's already had so many, can't get a championship fight at 125 pounds because she's already had it? Where does she go? I don't have the answer to that. I'm just saying, come out of this fight, should she come in with a silver medal, it's going to be one of those very weird things. To be one of those very weird things of what is her goal and what is going to keep her motivated? What weight class is she going to go? What's going to be her new plan? I don't have those answers, and thank goodness I'll never have to come up with them. 
She's got her own team, her own manager. She'll have to let us know. But I do think that it begs a question. And I think that the future becomes a little bit less certain. Now, let's look at Wei Lee. If Wei Lee is to get beat and Joanna runs off with this title, Joanna is likely to call out Rose. Joanna wants the Rose fight. Rose would like to fight Joanna and get her championship back. I think in many ways that would make some sense. That gives Wei Lee something to do in the meantime. And then you rematch Wei Lee with Joanna. Should things, in the meantime, go Wei Li's way? But it is very interesting and compelling. You've also got the problem of what happens. I mean, the bullet has made some comments about Wei Li. Wei Li doesn't have the world's easiest time making that weight class. Champ Champ is a real thing right now. It would seem as though the organization would like to keep a title around Wei Li, first ever Chinese champion. Very real thing from a marketing standpoint. Very big deal when you're trying to break into Asia and other places. And she earned this fair and square. This was a marketing tip that fell in everybody's lap. There was no help. She's the rightful gal. So I, with that in mind, I don't think you do the champ champ thing and move her up against the bullet. And by the way, that isn't going to swing the needle in some wonderful direction. But don't act as though Wei Lee isn't a competitor who heard what the bullet had to say about her. So. Things could get very fun in a very short period of time with the women's division. But now let's, aside from the story and the drama, let's take a look at the X's and O's. Because when you look at Wei Lee, you're talking about a stand-up fighter. I'm sure you've all been very impressed with her fights. I have as well. I was more impressed by her training footage, which I saw after her last fight. I saw some training footage and it was just pad work. But to watch how hard she could push, how hard she could go, the kind of power that she had, and her ability to come forward in addition to her speed, it was almost frightening. And anybody can look good on pads. I understand that. But I hadn't seen her on pads. I had only seen her in action, and she looked good in action. So now when you combine these two, you start to see that Wei Li is a little bit different. Look, if this was a straight-up kickboxing match with 16-ounce gloves, I think we would all just go bet on Joanna. Just on resumes alone, just on the experience alone. This is Joanna's world. This is Joanna's kind of fight. The difference with Wei Li and what Joanna may be used to in competitions, MMA to kickboxing, or even in sparring in the practice room. Very simple. It's power, and power is a great equalizer. In any kind of combat sport, if you've got that power, all of a sudden people have to respect it. They just have to. Before we get into the setups and the movement and everything, if you just have that power, all of a sudden, things are a little bit different. The other thing that Wei Li does is an incredible ability to come forward. She has an aggression. She will come forward like Amanda Nunes. She has the same Amanda Nunes level power at 115 pounds. And I'm not saying she's as powerful as Amanda. I'm saying it's that same power when you put it down at her weight class. Plus, she comes forward. I mean, aggression is a real thing. Aggression is another one of these intangibles that's hard to see on television. It's hard to teach in the practice room. Somebody either has it or they don't, and there's a lot that goes into it. Being aggressive is just saying, okay, I'm going to go out and be really busy, and then I get to be called aggressive. No, there's a conditioning that comes with it. Anybody could go fight like hell for 30 seconds. What are you going to do in 30 minutes? Starts to become the question. And Wei Li looks like one of these gals that can be aggressive, has that power, and is going to come after you aggressively. It's just different. There's a reason that you don't prepare for somebody like that. The reason is you don't prepare with people who do that. The reason you don't prepare with those kind of people, you can't trust them. What kind of teammate would that be? That's coming at you, throwing power, walking you down, throwing 100 punches in a minute. I mean, that's that's not a training partner. That's a fist fight on Saturday night in a steel cage. It's just different. So it's a little bit hard to prepare for. If you want to sit and have a conversation about who is the better striker, particularly after we all agree that this is most likely going to be a striking contest, if you want to talk about who is the better striker, I think you're probably almost unanimously going to come to the conclusion, it's Joanna. If you then want to say who is the more powerful of the two, And it's not because Joanna isn't powerful, but the more powerful, if that's the question, you're likely to lean towards Wei Li. If you want to talk about who can go harder longer, that's a question mark on Wei Li in all fairness. She brings a storm, which is another comparison I will make to Amanda. 
And I realize that Amanda has had some long, drawn-out fights as of late, but for a while, there was a narrative around Amanda that her own coaches and teammates worried about that she brings a storm, an absolute tornado, and generally there's no tree left standing. But if there is, if there is, and we see the third and the fourth and the fifth round, can she hold up? Now that answer, now that she has, turns out the answer is yes, but it was still a question. And until you're in the five-round club, it's only a guess. It's only speculation. People can do it in training. It's significantly different. I can tell you as an amateur wrestler, I would wrestle live with really good guys every single day for one hour. Shake hands, go, hour later, hit the showers, go home. The match itself was only seven minutes in competition. You would be dead exhausted. You could do an hour, the exact same thing, but now you're struggling to do it seven minutes. The difference with the practice room and when the lights are on is stress. Stress creates a fatigue. Fatigue wears you down. It's why you can do a wrestling match for seven minutes and be totally exhausted, feel like you just got hit by a bus. You could go in the very next day, grab an equally as good partner and do it for an hour before you feel like you were hit by a bus. I'm just saying that there's a very different thing here. So to guess that somebody can make it into the five-round club before they've done it is nothing less than a guess. And when you look at Joanna, there's no doubt about it. She can fight all night and she can fight a little bit longer. It seems as though she's going to have to move her feet a lot. Turns out Joanna does move her feet a lot. And it seems like she's going to have to be able to deal with some power. Now, that's a unique one that you kind of figure out on the fly. Can I take your shots? Can I not? Depends where those shots go. Depends how you set it up. But if I can keep my hands up, I can move around a little bit and buy some minutes here. At least in theory, things are going to start to go my way. And when you're a championship fight, if you're planning on it going all night long, you just have to win three rounds. I think the fight is really interesting. And I do think that once you get past the first two and three minutes with Wei Lee, things do start to swing. I just have to offer for you guys in full disclosure. I tell you that I think that based on a guess. I have no evidence. We haven't seen it. I do believe that this is Wei Lee's biggest challenge. I do believe that this is a challenge that Joanna was made for. I'll just remind you of that. Joanna comes from the stand-up world. She has seen this before. She is used to this. It's like Br'er Rabbit. I was born and raised in the Briar Patch. It reminds me of that. I think that Joanna is going to the Briar Patch exactly where she wants to be. Listen up. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's and your renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, see how much you can save. That's GEICO.com. GEICO.com. Oh, you know, my job doesn't get any easier over here. I can sit around and try to keep everybody honest. I can try to bring them up intellectually, psychologically, and make them more sophisticated until I'm red in the face and out of words. But I can't make them act. I grew up on a farm. You've heard the expression, but I've seen it with my own eyes. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. It's a very real thing. Look, Dominic Reyes and John Blahovich, okay? Very clearly, one of them was going to become the number one contender. Dominic was the number one contender. He's either going to hold that spot with his incredible, controversy-worthy performance over John Jones, where most people, I think in fairness, even John Jones, thought that Reyes is going to leave with the title. Definitely warrants a rematch. I would go as far of a compliment to pay Reyes that he may be the breakthrough fighter of 2020. Oh, and by the way, he's only fought once in 2020. Oh, and I should add, he lost that fight. He still might be the breakthrough fighter. As good as he is, as good as he believed he was, the rest of us didn't know. We knew he was a talented guy, and he's also next to get fed to the lion known as John Jones. What? Wrong. Wrong. Reyes is real. Reyes belongs. Reyes deserves to be there. Big high praise. John Jones himself said it was all ready to go, ready to fight Reyes, ready to give him a rematch. And John Jones, since he has come back, has been nothing short of a man of his word. Old John Jones would have flicked him away. New John Jones said, absolutely, that fight, you're great. Let's run it back. Okay. A week later, Jan Blahovich fights. 
John Jones shows up. It happens to be in Albuquerque. John Jones sits in the front row. Blahovich wins. Jeho- Blahovich calls out John Jones. John Jones, one week later, is now willing to not fight Reyes, but fight Blahovich. John Jones, who's been nothing but a man of his word since he's come back, that's great news for Blahovich. And John did absolutely nothing wrong. John saw a great fight, got called out, accepted the fight. Point for John Jones. Minus points for Jan, minus points for Dom. Whenever you're in this situation, it is very clear there is going to be a mandate. Politics are going to be at play. Your base versus his base. Your voice versus her, his voice. Battle it out in the media. One of you gets the power of the pen and gets the nod. John Jones is not blocking either of you. That's great news for you. Fans are behind Jan. Fans are behind Dominic. Why have I not heard from Dominic? Why have I not heard from Jan? Do they not understand the game that we're in right now? The game that they're in. Right this very second is to battle each other out for influence within the office and get their name written on a piece of paper and put in a fax machine and sent over to them. That is their fight that they are in right now. They are both playing it terribly. The only good news for Jan is that Reyes is as awful of a player as he is. The only good news going for Reyes is that he's just as bad at this game as Jan. So it kind of washes each other out. I do find it very stunning, though, that they're not aware that that is exactly what the battle is right now. And if they're leaving it to, oh, I think my manager can get this done. Yeah, my manager knows Dana's number. In fact, he's going to call him tomorrow. Yeah, I know. He's, he told me he's going to call him. That's your plan? I don't have the foggiest idea how these guys aren't out there banging a drum to the highest of levels, beating their chest, screaming and begging from the rooftops to try to get that fight, if it is truly what they want. Perhaps they are just not equipped with the skills to follow through on what I'm saying. Perhaps. Or perhaps they don't really want to fight John Jones. But there is no in-between. It would seem to us, the viewing audience, that they both want that fight and they both have a very strong argument as to why it should go to them. Neither of them is choosing to make that argument, at least not public, which is a sucker's move at best. And at worst, you have to consider the other side of the coin, which is they don't want that fight. Seemed like a good idea in the moment. Seemed like a cool thing to say at the press conference. But in truth, hey, Jan, you take the fight. You, you know what, Reyes? That was a little controversial. Why don't you take the fight? It's, it's one of these two. My own coworker, who is also my friend, Paul Felder, who I'm friends with his whole team, including his coach, Duke Rufus, and you know what's coming, but, because I got to beat Felder over the head right now, too. Felder just comes out, does a great big media interview, where we all were a little worried he was going to retire. I mean, Felder's amongst everybody's favorite fighter. Is that fair? If you had to come up with the top five list of guys that you're not going to miss fight, Felder's going to make everybody's list, right? Okay. So we've got this little uh, possible retirement being dangled out there. And it's like, well, Paul, you know, if we really do like you, then we got to back whatever it is you want to do. Selfishly, we're hoping that you change your mind. Great. He comes out in an interview. He changed his mind. Wonderful. But then guess what he says? He wants to fight in Ireland. It has to be if he's going to come back. It has to be something big. It has to be something special. And the big and special thing that he calls for is a fight in a building located in the country of Ireland. What the what? But that's not a story. What, what's big about that? It's brick and mortar. Somebody who didn't love to go to class as much as they loved to go to a party on the weekend threw some carpet down and some paint on the walls. That's not a story. You want to go fight in a building that happens to be geographically located in Ireland? That's the big deal? That's not a big deal. That's a long flight is what that is. Who do you want to fight? And I got to remind, I got to remind my own Paul. I got to remind, Paul, Dan Hooker got a fight with you. Because he called you out by name, he even went a step further and called you out face to face. Better than that, he had a date of February 2nd. He had a location of Auckland. He had a reason, which is I want a top 10 opponent. You and I are separated by one in the rankings. You're standing right here. I'm right here. What do you think? You can't run that back. 
You have 57,000 live people in an auditorium hearing that, and you have a worldwide audience on ESPN. It would be irresponsible and foolish of any promoter to not use the $3 million in marketing that just happened for him organically. To try and sell and perpetuate that fight in billboards and countdown shows and social media and digital to try with two to $3 million. And I might be a little bit high in all fairness, but I think I'm proving my point. They just did it for him. Hooker did it for him. I'm making a piece right now on Paul Felder. I don't have anything to tell you guys. I don't have anybody to tell you Paul wants to fight. I don't have any reason why Paul is doing the fight. I find it a little bit confusing that he wants a main event fight that he's even demanded a main event fight when a main event fight, if it doesn't qualify you for a number one contendership, really just means that now you're going to have to work 70% harder, fight 70% longer for the same participation. I find that a little bit baffling, but I find a lot of things Paul Felder does baffling. It's quite frankly what I respect about the son of a bitch, okay? Paul Felder marches to a beat of a different drum. The harder, the better. That's what he likes and that's what he wants. But he's got his story to tell and he called for brick and mortar? I need something special. I need some brick and mortar and some carpeting and some place that has concessions and some plumbing in here called a bathroom. What? I give a damn if you want to fight in Ireland. What's Ireland got to do with anything? I'm watching it from a TV. I give a goddamn if they set that cage up in the backyard somewhere. Bring us some lights, bring us some sound, bring us some action. I sit down, I push a button. What's the difference? I'm confused. I'm confused how that is a call out. I'm confused how a member of the media who is a top fighter, proof that he is a top fighter is he hinted at retirement and the whole community went crazy and begged him not to do it. Paul Felder matters, period. Paul Felder absolutely matters. And now he called out a geographic location that has nothing to do with anything for the fan base unless you happen to live within 10 square miles of that facility. Otherwise, the rest of us are pushing a button and watching it on plot. This is Your Welcome with Jail Sonnen. Now, back to Your Welcome with Jail Sonnen. Paulo Costa. Okay, guys, the timeline on this matters. And if you're a new fan, or somehow you've been sleeping on this one, you might have missed something really great here. Paulo Costa becomes the number one contender, defeating Yoel Romero in what was declared beforehand a number one contender's match. It's an absolute war. It's back and forth. It's controversial. I believe it was a split decision. I mean, this thing was great. But Paulo won. He goes on. He's going to fight the winner of Adesanya versus Whitaker. So before they even established who the winner was, Paulo took the driver's seat, which generally doesn't happen for a number one contender. So it was a little bit of a unique spot, but it was also special and it was also fun. Adesanya comes out on top. Adesanya points him to the front row where Costa was sitting, calls him out. Costa accepts. Boom, we're off to the races. Well, all the while, Paulo's dealing with some kind of an injury to his arm. And he never said anything to anybody. I got to visit with him. I talked to him. He never said anything. A week later, he goes under the knife and has surgery, which means he can't make the date. Now, I still don't know the backstory on that. If he was thinking, yeah, I got this surgery, but it's minor. We'll push the fight out. I'll still be ready. I don't know what he was thinking. He just never said anything. He accepted the number one contendership, tried to sign a bout agreement, tried to make this thing official. Oh, and by the way, went and had a surgery. Okay, that's the backstory. But here's where things get good. Because Adesanya has to stay busy and because you have to get on with the division, Yoel Romero gets inserted becomes the new number one contender and title challenger, okay? Now, he and Izzy are about to figure things out. Those boys are going to go under the unified rules this Saturday. But in the meanwhile, Costa didn't look like the fact that he was getting passed over. Even though it is very clearly and unequivocally been stated, he is still the number one contender in the same... Now we're just going to have Romero versus Izzy. Whoever comes on that out of that goes and fights Paulo. Paulo didn't like how this sounded. So he contacts Dana White and informs Dana, it's a miracle, but I'm healed. Dana says, I need to hear it from a doctor. Now, I remember when Dana made this statement, I was a little bit confused. Going, you need to hear it from a doctor. Paula just told you. He would have got that from a doctor. He's not trying to fight while he's hurt. What well, turned out Dana's spidey senses were correct because what comes out this morning 
Dana finds out that Paulo is still hurt. He's not ready to return. And he teamed up with somebody who may or may not have a medical degree, was posing as a doctor. Perhaps the guy is a doctor, but it was a friend of posing as a doctor. Calls the UFC and says, oh, yeah, he's ready to fight. Let's go. And Dana's like, no, something still seems off here. You're going to come out. You're going to meet with my doctors. And if they approve you, okay, great. We're off to the races. Otherwise, we're sticking with the X. I think it was 11 months he was going to be out. If I'm wrong, it was eight months. But we're going to stick with that plan. You're not coming to me with a new plan. Something just seems off. I thought that that was a little bit over, overcautious, excuse me, by Dana. Nope. Turned out Dana was spot on. Turns out Paulo is still hurt. And then Dana wasn't mad. There's a few ways to piss him off. Lying to him is the top of that list. But because Paulo lied in a way that would not help or advantage him, it was a disadvantage to him. He was lying to get a fight of which he will be in a diminished capacity. Dana respected it. In fact, the very story I just told you, which is a quote and me parodying of Dana telling this, Dana was laughing. He even used the word, I respect it. He's a tough guy. He's a competitor. He wants to compete. My job is to keep him safe. I would like it if that was both of our jobs, but I've been doing this long enough to know that it's mine. Caught him, busted. Call me when you're actually ready. Interesting story, and I do tend to side with Dana. Paulo wasn't trying to pull a caper to gain something. He it would it would have hurt him. He would have been at a disadvantage. He wanted to do it anyway. I mean, we have something very special going on right now, particularly in that division, and that division is taking cues from the top, which is Adesanya. Adesanya just went on a media tour, lying about how much he weighs, trying to get a fight with John Jones. He's trying to get the hardest fights he can as often as he can. This is not something that generally a champion does, but it is something that a role model would do. It is somebody that you would look up to and aspire to be like is doing. It's somebody that's the leader and the champion in that division. It's what he's doing, and now we're starting to see the other boys fall into line here. I can just tell you, as a viewer and a fan, it's refreshing. Izzy Adesanya was rumored to have a staph infection. I was never clear on where that rumor came from. I got all the rest of the story. I got the in-between. I got when he was done, he said, ah, it turned out it was a scratch. I was never clear on where this came from. If Izzy came out and said I had staph, which wasn't staph, or if Izzy did like an embedded show and somebody just caught it on camera and you've got these armchair doctors from around the world, declaring he had staff. But it was something along these lines. Izzy came out and cleared up and said, I don't have staff. Now, whether he does or not isn't mystery solved by him stating that he doesn't. But then a lot was also made of, you know, what will happen with this fight and where will the fight go? Let's cover a couple of things here. Okay, first off, Chael is not a doctor and Chael doesn't want to be brazen to you about staff infections because they come in many different levels. I can just share with you on the most simple of level, ones that I have to deal with on a very regular basis. You would be stunned at what goes around a mat room. You would be stunned at what lives in these damp, dark, poorly lit rooms, okay? They get cleaned once a day, but have three and four workouts on them once a day. We are passing stuff amongst each other. So I'm making the assumption, but I think that I'm rightfully making the assumption that he has the kind of staff that I get and other fighters and the grapplers get. I will tell you this, so much has been made of these staph infections, it takes 72 hours for it to be gone. It takes 48 hours with on antibiotics for it to no longer be transmittable. But 72, it's a distant memory. I share that with you because I've seen guys make excuses of a staph infection and then fans try to make an excuse for them prior to an event. Now, it is a very real concern because there would be a medical check and if a doctor saw an active fungus, and that's the category this would fall under, on an athlete combatant's body, they could cancel the fight. 100% they could cancel the fight and likely would for something as contagious as staff. The good news is this is weak old news. So based on the 48 hours, based on the 72 hour theory, there's simply nothing to see here, but I never do cease to be surprised at the fans. When the athletes do it, it's it's mind-blowing blowing to me when they offer an excuse prior or even after a contest. But when the fans then offer the excuse for the athlete ahead of time, it's even more confusing because the fans have jobs 
And some of the excuses that they offer to their athletic friends, they would not accept themselves. Would any of the viewers out there, if you had a staph infection, call in sick for work? Or would you put your clothes on and go? I might be the one that's more surprised here by the answer. Maybe you would call in sick. I couldn't imagine. But maybe you would. And it's very unique to MMA for some reason. I have never in all my days, if you know of an example, please offer it to me. I'll give a correction. I just don't know of one. Where there was ever going to be a Super Bowl and anybody who started on offense, defense, or special teams didn't show up and start in the game. I've never seen an NBA Finals. I just have, I'm not aware of it. If it's happened, I don't know of it. Where the starting team doesn't take to the court. I've never heard of it. In a World Series game one through seven, where the starters don't start. That would be miraculous and an amazing pool, an amazing focus group. That why has nobody in the history of time not showed up and started? Why did they not get up and go to work? Why did they not see that as an opportunity? I don't know anybody who's ever in the history of time forfeited an Olympic finals event. I can't imagine they feel good. The Olympics, any way you want to do it for any sport, men and women, is tournament format, which means by the time you get to the finals, you're exhausted. You've already had four or five competitions amongst the best in the world in that. You're tired. To make believe that they aren't ever sick on championship day or hurt on championship day, that just seems like too big of a leap for me. But I don't know anybody that's pulled out. For some reason, the fans within the space of MMA are as big of wimps as the fighters within MMA. MMA has never been plagued with people that fail to make weight. It's never been plagued with illness or injury. It's plagued with a bunch of fake tough guys that for some reason have fans that are fake tough guy fans because the fans are more than happy to go along with the made-up story of a staff infection. A story and a premise that is being rejected by the principal in the story, which is the champ Adesanya himself. If you have a job to do and you said you would do it, show up and do your job. Take that advice with you. And if you just can't resonate to that, maybe you got to toughen up a little bit. And maybe you've got some character issues where your word just simply isn't enough. Maybe that doesn't in your heart mean anything to you. To other people in life, it does. Oh, what perfect timing. Okay, I got to tell you guys, I was a little light on stories today. I mean, we got two world titles being contested. I feel like I've talked those into the ground. I go to MMA Junkie. Mike Boehm just posted unconfirmed rumor that he believes to be true. Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker coming up San Diego later this year. That's great, and it's great for a number of reasons. First off, I had big question on what is Poirier going to do? Poirier was riding a high of highs, and like anything in life, what goes up must come down when he lost to Khabib. His last couple of fights were for world championships, guaranteed main events. This is guaranteed to not be a world championship. Likely still a main event. But the point is, things are going to go down. And when you're Poirier, you got to ask yourself, how far can I accept? How far can I go down this very mountain that I just climbed before I stop, turn around, and start coming up it again? Tough spot. Many people have been in it. But that was Poirier's spot. That's just where he was at. And I was curious what that answer was going to be. But Poirier got called out. I mean, Poirier is like any other animal. If you insult him the right way, he's going to answer. He got called out by Hooker. Hooker, who has done absolutely nothing wrong in 18 months. Hooker has not fought wrong, competed wrong, cut weight wrong, trained wrong, or done media wrong. Hooker is as close to perfect for understanding the entertainment era that we are living in right now with the world of MMA, manipulating it and operating amongst it. If you are a young fighter, you want to know what to do with your career, you need to study Dan Hooker. He gets it, and he is taking it, and he's being himself, by the way. So many people will go into pro wrestling, and they'll go, I want to be be like The Rock. Instead of looking at it, I don't want to be the next Rock. I want to be the first me. That's a very real thing, because you're going to have certain skills and tools. If you can't raise your eyebrow, wear a Versace shirt with a Rolex watch, 
get a crowd to their feet, sing sometimes, play a guitar sometimes, and go star in A-level action movies at other times, you simply can't be The Rock. That's okay. People will go into Hollywood all the time, and they'll tell a director, I can play a 5'9 woman or a 9'5 male, whatever, whatever you need me to do. No, there's some things that just simply aren't going to be true. But if we find where your skills are, we can go and exemplify them. Dan Hooker has never ripped anybody off. He just starts showing up on stage wearing sunglasses and a bow tie. That was Connor's gimmick. He didn't, he, he didn't go out and start taking from anybody else. He went out and became the first him, but operating within broad strokes that he observed work for other people. So first off, great news. We know what Poirier is going to do. He's going to jump right back in the deep end. He's going to maintain his ranking or claim higher. He's going back to a feature bout. But we also have to learn something from Hooker who twice now has steered his own career. I believe Hooker actually also called for the ally Equinifight. So I believe this is actually the third time, but it's the second time publicly that we've witnessed him do this. Whether it was to call out Felder face-to-face with Felder on ESPN in front of 57,000 people and then get it. Or he called for a fight with Gaethje and then quickly hedged and said, but if he's not available, I'll take Poirier. He got that sentence in just in time. Now Poirier has to respond. And the decision makers have to take a look at that because that fight makes sense. They're in the same weight class. They're very close in the rankings. They're both main event fighters. One of them got called out. One of them answered a call out. I mean, it's just something that you just simply can't stiff arm and look away from. I think it's an interesting fight. Before we get into the X's and O's of the fight, I think we just need to study how this fight got set up. This was not some random war room meeting amongst the offices at the UFC where Maynard and Shelby and Dana all sit down and start to figure things out. This one got wrapped up in a nice little bow, set on their lap. They opened it up, said, thank you for the gift. We like it. There's a way to do that. There's a reason to call someone out, but there's also a reason to call somebody out that is a fight that you can get. You can't only call for championships fights. You can't only call for main event fights. Who, what, when, why, and where, it has to make a level of sense. Sense is a word that Dana himself uses proficiently. That should be a clue. That should be a big clue to young fight. Why does the boss keep using the word sense? Well, this has to make sense. He uses that word a lot. So when you present him with something, present him something that falls into the category that he has already publicly identified that he looks at. Does it make sense? Yeah, it does make a lot of sense for Poirier and Hooker to fight. Sure it does. Both of these guys are world class. Both of these guys are top of the bill. Both of these guys are marquee. Both of these guys are in the same weight class. Both of these guys are similarly ranked. By the way, the title is jammed up. Khabib and Tony got to go figure that out. And we're all told that Connor's going to slide in and take on the winner should it be Khabib. Should it be Tony? That door's been a little bit left open, but it still seems to rotate between the triangle of Tony Khabib and Connor, right? Any which way they're going to round Robin or match that thing up, it does seem that the title is held. So I understand the bravado and the courage of all, always calling for a championship fight. I get it. But don't miss the fact that you need to get the shots that you call for or you look weak within the industry. You do not want to look weak. You do not want to be a guy that calls for something and doesn't have the power to then get it done. So there's a balance there. And Hooker, three up, three down, has got his way and called his own shot. He has convinced everybody else to see it his way. That's powerful. It's well done. Well, do- Why take a phone call out of the blue that tells you who you're fighting on if you can have a hand in that? Then you look at Poirier. Poirier's looking to get back to title contention. He's got Dan Hooker, who's on a big roll was a co-main event of the largest gate in history, 57,000 live, advances himself from co-main to main, has a knockdown drag-out war in contention for fight of the year against Felder. Makes a lot of sense. If the boss thing, likes things that makes sense, take him something that makes sense. My producer Ryan just asked me a question. He said, Chael, what is your prediction? for who the next UFC heavyweight champion is going to be. And I thought this was a strange question only because, what do you mean? Are you asking me to pick who's going to win the fight? The trilogy fight between Stipe and Cormier? Or are you asking me 
absent of those guys, who is next in line? And he responded very confusing and said, yeah. What do you mean, yeah? There's two different questions here. First off, I can tell you who the UFC champion is going to be. It's going to be either Stipe or it's going to be Cormier. But if you're asking me, Cormier leaves and he's going to retire, and eventually Stipe either retires or gets knocked off, who is the guy to knock him off? That's a little bit more confusing, particularly when you know that Verdum is coming back. Verdum is a very interesting player, and he's a spoiler to the highest of levels, and he is spoiled on two separate occasions, two separate organizations. He's spoiled the strike force by upsetting Fedor. He's spoiled in the UFC upsetting Velasquez. So you have to begin to ask yourself, okay, can he get to a title shot, which largely means by today's landscape, can he, Verdum, beat Angano? Well, in many ways, Verdum is the next Stipe. He largely does well what Stipe does well. He's really good on his feet. He's wild and reckless because he doesn't care if you take him down to the ground. Now, even though he does his groundwork from the bottom and Stipe does his groundwork on the top, that's a slight distinction. It is a fair distinction, but it's a slight distinction. You're still talking about a wild man on his feet who prefers to go to the ground. And by the way, we'll tap you out, ask Fedor and Cain Velasquez. Very interesting matchup. It's a very interesting matchup. And then when you look at the landscape, that's by today's standards. Because Rosenstrike matches up on paper very well with Engano. Rosenstrike could, in theory, throw Engano right off track if Engano comes out and plays the only game he knows how, which is the only game Rosenstrike wants to play. I mean, it's a little bit of a mess. I think that there is something very real to John Jones moving up and grabbing that division. I think that that's a lot less likely in the last 14 days when we're now equipped with what a great competitor Reyes is and how badly we want to re-see that fight. And, by the way, Jan is out there, both of which are going to be given their opportunity. All we're trying to figure out now is in which order. I don't think you can discount 205 pounds. Then you got to take into account that Glover Teixeira was just named to be fighting uh, with Lionheart. I think that that's a very interesting matchup, too. And even though that would equate to a rematch for John Jones, which perhaps is less likely when you're still forming that division, and we've only got three things figured out, right? Jan has separated himself. Reyes clearly got everybody's attention. Then you got the champion in John. You need more. Every division, you like to have 10 guys. You could rest and exhale a little bit if you had five. Right now we have three. So I think the Lionheart and Teixeira really does matter. But when you want to talk about who is the next best heavyweight outside of Stipe and DC, there seems to be a default to go to Angano. Angano is a great argument. I do not choose to argue against that at all. Very impressed with Angano. But while that argument was being made, Verdum didn't have a license. So now we have to discuss Verdum in that division. And if anybody is just going to dismiss that and tell you that's silly, then they're what's called a newbie. They're a new fan. If you've been following this sport and you dismiss Verdum, you're making an error to the highest of judgment. In the wake of the news that Poirier and Hooker are going to fight in San Diego later this year, I think the entire lightweight division needs to be looked at. Lightweight is far and away the most competitive and stacked division in the entire sport right now. But if we were to take a look at a bracket, and we understand we're going to do this thing backwards, okay? We're going to start with the finals, and then we're going to work our way out. But the finals are already set, which is Tony taking on Khabib. But if you were to back yourself up, I feel like a quarterfinal match here is going to be Hooker versus Dustin Poirier. On the other side of that bracket, we've got Justin Gaethje, who appears to be getting a bye. Now, what a bye means is that he's not going to have to compete here. He can rest on his laurels, look at some other great things he's done. But Justin Gaethje does appear in many ways to be the new Tony Ferguson. To remind you guys how Tony ended up down here, it wasn't just from being great, doing great, winning an interim championship. He had more people backing him. He had fans and fellow fighters, fans demanding and fellow fighters stepping out of the way and saying, put Tony in. He even got Khabib himself to say, hey guys, you better re-sign this and you better give the opportunity to Ferguson. He had a mandate to the highest of levels, okay? One step down, but the next mandate goes to Justin Gaethje. 
So I don't know that Justin's going to have to do anything more other than not get passed by. And the landscape and perception changes very rapidly within this business. If you are not active, if you are out of sight, you are out of mind. And this is where Hooker is starting to catch up to everybody. Now, the big problem that Justin could have to face, if Hooker gets by Poirier and Hooker advances to all of a sudden a public dispute with Justin, the problem that Justin is going to face that I don't think he's aware of yet is that perception is reality in all of life, but maybe no focus group more clear to observe that expression in than the world of MMA. Point being, if Hooker continues to call out Justin, for now, Justin can just ignore the call out. Go, hey, I've already advanced. I'm already over you. I already have the support. I'm not going to come and fight you. That's going to last for a little bit of time. But if Hooker keeps putting on world-class performances and now is going to take on a former champion, and should Hooker get the jump on Poirier and continues to call out Justin, there is quickly going to be a perception by Justin not accepting the call-out that Justin doesn't want the call-out. He doesn't want the call-out because he doesn't believe he can beat Hooker, and therefore Hooker's going to leapfrog him. I'm not arguing for any for you that any of that is accurate. I don't argue for you who would win that fight between Hooker or Justin or that Justin doesn't take the fight because he doesn't want to fight him. Justin doesn't take the fight because he's in a very good spot right now. He's in a spot that says, I get a fight should anything happen between now and April 18th to either Khabib or Tony. I get a fill-in. I get a fill-in because I'm the only meaningful guy that raised his hand and said, I'm going to go through training camp. I'm going to be on weight, and I'm ready to fill in. Okay, good enough. That argument isn't going to last forever, particularly when Hooker is selling out arenas, calling his own shots, and having these world-class performances. Eventually, you either have to answer that call-out or you have to step aside and let Hooker come through. I'm not ready to predict for you where this goes, but there's other meaningful things happen. Islam can only be ignored for so long. Kevin Lee can only beat so many people before his name starts to come back in that conversation. It looks as though we've got our final set. It looks as though Connor's getting a bye. He's getting a pass right in to the championship match. The question becomes, once the dust does settle and they figure those things out, the activity of Hooker, I would predict for you, The activity of Hooker, if he can parlay that with the continued success of Hooker, is in a great spot to be next. All right, guys, I am off to the weigh-ins. Let's see if there's any drama. We will recap that. We will recap the fight. We'll recap the weekend. We're going to recap it all next Wednesday. Make sure you're back and tell that I'm Chael Sonnen. Thanks for listening, everybody. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Download new episodes every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. True crime lovers, listen up. The creators of Cold Case Files and PD Stories comes the next great true crime podcast, I Survived. Every week, I Survived presents Chilling first-person accounts from people who overcame deadly situations, allowing the survivors to describe the events as they unfolded and how they made it out alive. If you love true crime, you are going to love I Survived. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, PodcastOne.com, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcast apps so you get new episodes every week.